Lord Jesus, I, I want to thank you that you have come into our midst. You, you stepped out of heaven to make a way for us to be different. You stepped out of a way to make us into a people that exhibits a love that is so unqualified, so ex exorbitant, so enormous, Lord God, that the world cannot understand it. As a result, we are a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, Lord God. And I pray that as we delve into the word today, that you would, you would answer the questions in our minds and hearts. You would set us free from anything that is holding us back from being the all that you've called us to be, Lord God. We give you our lives once more. As we sang in that, that last song, Lord God, here is our worship, all of us, all of us, dedicated to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we are starting a series called Soul Matters. Soul Matters. You know, anecdotally, so that means just in your everyday life, I'm sure, like me, you are noticing just an increase in the amount of people who report being depressed. An increase in the amount of people in your wider sphere that are, are talking about the anxiety they're feeling. An increased number of people who are, who are exhibiting various mental conditions that, that are diagnosed with names, like things like bipolar, etc. And, and I don't know, but certainly a generation back, we weren't hearing of as many people with this. And the question remains, and, and scientists and sociologists are reporting this phenomena. Why is this an in, such an increase in these kind of conditions in the world around us? What, we, we thought at the end of the, the 1800s, we, mankind, had a plan. We were going to solve all of the world's problems by, by technology, scientific understanding. We were going to rationally attack every issue on the planet, and we were going to come up with a solution, and we were going to create a utopia where everything was great. This has not happened. The more advanced we've got, it seems, the more emotional problems people battle with. And it's not just outside of the church, it's in the church that, that people are feeling the stress and anxiety of life and are responding to it in these different ways. Um, some years back, about six years back, I woke up one morning and I couldn't get out of bed. I just, I felt as flat as a pancake. I know we all have, have felt that from time to time. So I just chalked it up to, uh, had, a, had a rough day the, night the day before. <laughs> Um, and so I managed to peel myself out of bed, kind of drag myself through the, through the day, went to sleep, and I thought, oh, I feel better next, in the morning. Woke up the next morning, felt even flatter than I'd felt before. And so it, so it went on that, that every day became a chore to live. And I, I started, I started also noticing that when I went to sleep at night, I would put my head on the pillow and... Two minutes later, just my mind would be bombarded with anxious thoughts like, what is happening? Where are things going? How is this going to work out? When I woke up in the morning, it, you know, I thought, oh, those were weird thoughts. You know, <laughs> I didn't feel as anxious. But I, but I was having these moments of intense anxiety and these moments of just no energy, inability to, to cope with my life. And then I noticed after a little while that so, certain intrusive thoughts started happening in my mind. So I would be going through my day and suddenly this intrusive thought of, 
it would be better if you weren't alive. And these intrusive thoughts got more and more regular until, until I was actually contemplating how, how would it be to commit suicide? What would that look like? What would I do? And, and when I noticed that I was kind of entertaining these thoughts more and more, I knew I had a problem. I knew I had a problem. Praise the Lord. I have such a great and supportive family. I, I serve in a church where people understand these things. And basically what I was going through was burnout, a physical burnout, that it was accompanied with anxiety and depression. And so I, I went to a doctor and said, listen, this is what I experienced. I was a Christian doctor. I'm, I'm grateful for that. She sent me to a Christian counselor. I started working through the very reasons I was feeling like this. That didn't automatically change everything. It just gave me strategies and it gave me, gave me different ways of thinking. Um, I did take some medication for a season to help me just cope with everything. Um, but my biggest, my biggest breakthrough came when I started to look at life instead of through what I was meant to accomplish and started looking at through the lens of who God was. And that changed everything. I didn't wake up one morning completely healed. It was a day-by-day process of just walking into wholeness and allowing my body to heal, allowing my mind to heal, allowing my thoughts and my way of relating to God to change until... One day I woke up and I was so excited to be alive. One day I woke up and I was, I was felt full of energy and I was like, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you even for the challenges I will face today because I know that in those I will see your glory. And so I, I, having had firsthand experience of what it means to battle with what scientists call mental illness, uh, I... I know how important it is to arm Christians with truth. Not only because all of us, to some degree, are probably going to face it at some stage. There's not a person in this room who hasn't felt anxious from time to time. Or is, are, there, are there other people? You know, is this, should I find another group of people to talk to? I mean, I, I'm sure there's no one in this room that hasn't felt depressed from time to time. And you know, the, the, this, this is normal human responses to the stress of life handled from a non-Jesus perspective. And believe it or not, we all do that. And so we need to be armed of how to, how to handle that and what to do when it happens. But at the same time, we also need to be armed with the understanding and compassion to walk with people who are facing this. We need to be able to be the kinds of people like those four friends that brought their lame friend to Jesus. We will break open roofs. We will make a way. We will do whatever it takes to get our depressed, stressed, or anxious, or battling friends to Jesus. That they would get the the healing, the restoration, and the life that they need. Amen. Amen. So we are talking about soul matters. There is a scripture in 3 John verse 2, and it says this. John speaking to the people he was writing to, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. There's something about, there's something about the human soul that actually invades one's environment. There's something about the human soul is that when it is well with a human soul, everything in the environment conforms to that wellness. And so there's something so powerful about each of us 
guarding our souls well, nurturing and nourishing our souls well, tending our hearts as a garden and making sure that when the weeds come, we pull them out. When when someone comes in to steal from it, we put up appropriate boundaries. We make a place where the presence of God can dwell and nourish and make us whole, prosper us in the inner man so that our environments can prosper. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Okay, it's lost my connection for some reason. Um, Can you change slides for me? Thank you. There was a German soldier soldier fighting in the trenches in World War I and a very famous letter he wrote back to his family. He said this, What is the good of escaping all the bullets and shells if my soul is injured? And you know, life, stuff happens in life. Stuff happens in life. And you know, we can dodge the physical danger. We can escape the armed robbery. We can, we can get our car back after a hijacking. We can recover physically from a beating or... or instances of abuse, but the problem is those instances don't just stop with the physical things we've experienced. There's an effect on our hearts. There's an effect on our inner man, and that's what we need to make sure we deal with. That's what we need to make sure stays well, because if we don't, then those incidences that happened way back when have a permanent and lasting effect on our lives. It's not the bullets and the shells. It's the injury to our souls that matters. Thank you. So what does it mean to be human? There's a scripture in Thessalonians. Paul speaking to the Thessalonians. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul Paul gives us a clue about what it means to be human. You just thought maybe being human was having a physical body. But being human has three parts to it. Thank you. First of all, human beings have a spirit, a spirit man. That that is the thing that is rejuvenated in the presence of God. That is is the place of you that communes with God. That's the place of you that that is eternal, that has eternal eternal, um, longevity, that that is is the essence of who you are, what makes you different from every, every other physical creature around you. And then we have a soul. The Bible implies three things that your soul does. Your soul is your mind, it is your will, and it is your emotions. It is your ability to make decisions, it is your ability to understand, and it is your ability to feel. That is your soul. And last of all, we do have a physical body. After Christmas, we have more of a physical body than we had before. Christmas, but nonetheless, we have, we have a physical body that interacts, we interact with our environment and, and uh, reports to the soul and the spirit what is going on in the environment and now allows them to make the kinds of decisions that they need to make. Interestingly enough, the main goal of a person's spirit is to be in union with God is to find unions, find a place of rest in the presence of God. It is the part of you that was created to be with God. Your soul, as I've said, of all craves for understanding, craves for understanding, and it, it needs to feel 
It needs to feel. And last of all, your body, the primary emphasis of your physical being is to find security, to keep you safe, to keep you free from danger, to keep you eating the right things and sometimes more of the right things than you need, and looking out for your physical well-being. That is the, the, what your body is there to do, to keep you alive, to keep you alive. So what does it mean to be fully alive? John 14 says this, you know the spirit of truth, for he lives with you and will be in you. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What does it mean to be fully alive? To be fully alive means that we are a physical being inhabited by the spirit of God. The Bible is very clear that when God made mankind, he breathed into him and he became a living being. That, that word for breath is the same word as the word for spirit. In other words, God breathed his spirit into mankind. And where, whereas he was a, a human being before that, he became a fully alive human being with the presence of God breathed into him. So, as we, as we go through life and we come to know God, what God does is he comes and he invests his presence through our spirit into every area of our world. And that's what it means to be a human being fully alive. It means to be a body, soul, and spirit inhabited by the presence of God, co-laboring in your everyday life, reaching out to your envir environment with the presence of God, living by the presence of God, being in step with the presence of God, infused, encouraged, enlivened by the presence of God, facing the challenges of everyday life through the presence of God and with the power of God. And that's what it means to be a human being fully alive. That is the goal of your Christianity, to be united to Christ in such a way that the presence and knowledge of God invades and permeates every part of who you are, every part of who you are. Richard Raw, who is actually a, a charismatic Catholic priest. You didn't know you got those. There he is. And he says this, true spirituality is not a search for perfection or control or the door to the next world. It is a search for divine union now. Yeah, you know, I know so many Christians, and certainly before the incidents I described to you, my idea of presenting myself to God as a living sacrifice was that I would live every day trying very hard to be perfect. You know, I'd have to have the perfect children, have the perfect ministry, be the perfect weight, have done the perfect amount of exercise, done the perfect amount of Bible reading for the day, been a perfect wife to my husband, which I never really attained to, but I was trying, I was trying. You know, I had this idea in my mind that, that being right with God meant, meant pursuing perfection. I mean, you've often felt like that. I know it's the human nature to feel like that. Somehow we've got to make ourselves right for God. We've got, we love him so much that so we're going to try really hard to present our lives perfectly before him. Well, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> no matter how I tried, there was always some unperfect part. And you know, how, you know how it is? Have you ever played that game where you have to stomp those moles that come up? 
You know, you always, and as you stomp this one, the other one comes up. You know those arcade games? And some of you are looking at me like totally blank, but don't worry about it. It's a frustrating game because you can never win. You know, there's always something else popping up. And I felt like that about my life, you know. Just as I got this part shut down, locked down, good, in order, this part just popped up. You know, it's like running or pushing this part down. Ah, oh, managed to get that. Ah, oh, that part I'd worked on before. There it is again. There's my anger issues all over again. Get them down. Shh. Bam. Oh. There's my, there my eating issues, you know, my, um, I don't know, my uh, laziness issues or my whatever issues. Just, it's like, you cannot, it's like, there's too much to the human being. I just can't get it all under control. Too many balls to juggle. The goal of spirituality, the goal of being a Christian is not striving for perfection. Because you will never, ever, ever attain it. Can you just throw that away? In your mind, just open a big garbage can. Take the idea of perfection and just throw it in there. Can you do that? Can you do that? The goal of your spirituality is not perfection. It is union with God. Union with God. And here's the, the beauty of this is that out of union with God comes ever-increasing perfection. I don't know if that's um, grammatically correct, but nonetheless, ever-increasing perfection. It's that the more I'm united to God, the more I find those things that I was trying to hold down and control, somehow they just become less and less of an issue. And I have noticed that if my focus is on union with God, then all of my life tends to just come into order. It tends to like flip into place where, where I wasn't even expecting it. Things seem to work where I wasn't, where before I had to work overtime to make them work, and suddenly they're just working. Union with God. Making yourself one with God. What does that mean? That means, that means allowing His thoughts to become my thoughts. It means partnering with Him in situations. It means allowing myself to feel loved by Him. Yes. Allowing myself to feel like I belong in His presence. The more I allow those things to happen, the more everything else comes into place. The Bible says in, well, Jesus prayed it in John 17, he's, he, he said this, this is eternal life, that they would know you, God the Father, and the, the Son whom you sent. Yes. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. And here's the beauty of it. It doesn't start when you die. Come on. It can start now. You can have the fullness of the kingdom now through your relationship with him. Awesome. I spoke earlier about the fact that human beings just have this tendency. It's like there's a, there's a kind of a faint remembrance in every person's heart of that perfect world that God created 
at the beginning of time. It's like there's, there's something in our hearts that yearns again for Eden, that yearns again for a world that's just in perfect order, where everything works, where sickness is gone, where strife doesn't exist. And there's something in the human nature that always wants to strive for that. I hear so many people outside of the church and people who would not call themselves Christian in every way, anyway, who speak about this world that we are working towards where climate change is brought under control, where there's no more um, human slavery, etc., etc., and they're working towards making this beautiful and perfect world. How many thousands years of human history tell us that human beings cannot attain this, no matter how hard we try? It's almost as if the the human beings of this world are looking for the kingdom of God without the king. Yeah. It's like we want everyone in place, everything in place, but we don't want the ruler. We want all the benefits of the kingdom, but we don't want the king himself. And so many people out there are looking for this utopia, making things right, and they want everything right, but they refuse to have the king that brings that kingdom. And I, I just want to say that I, I, I believe in medical intervention in every way. I believe God gave us a brain, and part of him, us taking dominion over the world, is that we were meant to find medical solutions to problems under his guidance. I don't have any problem with medicine, but I do have a problem with secularized humanism. What, what does that mean? I have a problem when a doctor tells me that the only way to be healed is a medical intervention. I have a problem when, a, when the world gives me humanized solutions without a God attached. I have a problem with that because the solution you will get, maybe you'll get some improvement, but it will have a caveat to it. And that'll be separation from God that leads to more disaster. So I have a problem with any solution for any problem anyone faces that excludes God from the picture. Because I don't believe, and I believe I stand on the Bible in this, I do not believe that there is a solution to anything without God. Amen. Without God. Without God. That is not to negate any medical solution, but it's just if that medical solution is divorced from the creator of the universe, it will bring more problems in the long run than solutions. No kingdom without the king. And this is here what I find happening, and I've been reading some books along these lines. What happens to the human being who looks for solutions without God? Our soul, I mean, our spirit man is longing for union. That will never change. It's how we've been created. Therefore, if God is not in that picture, that person has to look for union in other places. It has, has to look for, for a sense of belonging in places. Why do we have children, teenagers joining gangs because their hearts are longing for union, places of belonging? Why do we have relationships forming that are, that are perverted, that are hard, that are difficult? It's why people are longing for union. They are, they are reaching out and making one with other people that they shouldn't be looking for this union that only God can bring. At the same time, what happens to a soul that hasn't got access to God is that we 
We look for understanding in the wrong places. The Bible's clear that, that by faith we understand. Without the concept of God in the picture, you cannot understand your world well. Sure. No matter how hard you try, no matter how educated you are. It will just lead you. Listen, listen. Imagine being a, a learned atheist. A PhD five times over, knowing all the ins and outs of the universe and believing that there's no God and therefore no meaning to this. The only end for that is depression. <laughs> if your life does not matter, doesn't matter how much you know about life, it's got to lead you down a path of hopelessness. Here's the wild thing, that the soul is longing for feeling. It wants to feel alive. How many times have I questioned people who have been involved in various addictions, various promiscuous, promiscuous behavior? And when, when we get down to the bottom and I say, why did you do it? Why do you do it? Not out of judgment, just trying to understand them. Why? Why are you doing this? So often I hear this thing. It's that I feel so dead inside, but at least when I do these things, although it's painful, at least I, for a moment I feel. For a moment, I f can feel. Sometimes I've, well, I know a number of people who have, um, out of desperation, started cutting themselves. Those of you who don't even know what that is, don't worry about it. But I've, in asking them what is going on, they say, at least when I feel the pain of that cut, I feel. I feel something. And the, the pain and the anguish I feel inside, this pain overwhelms that pain. And I, at least for a moment, I can be in the now and I can just focus on feeling that. The soul without God is longing to feel something. And then we feel in all the wrong ways. The physical body without God is looking for security. The anxieties, the self-preservations, the things we run after without God are us physically saying, physically finding ways to keep ourselves safe. But without God, there is no sense of safety. No matter how high you build your walls, no, how, no matter how big your bank balance is, no matter how intense your security systems are, without God in the picture, you never feel that sense of safety. There's always one more thing to do to be safe. There's a term that sociologists use, and they, they call it spiritual formation. And what that means, it means that Christian sociologists use it. Non-Christian sociologists don't know what that means. But Christian formation is this, is that your, or spiritual formation is this, is that your environment is forming your soul. It is pushing on your soul. It is creating pressures on your soul. And as a result, because of your environment, your soul is being shaped in a certain way. Your personality is being shaped in a certain way. Your way of looking at things is being shaped in a certain way. And the thing is that we all come into the kingdom with a shaped soul. Sometimes it has been shaped well, and sometimes it has been shaped badly. And part of us growing in God is that we, we have to somehow unshape those bad shapes 
and allow Christian truth, biblical truth, God, the knowledge of God, His love, His mercy, His grace to reform who we are, to reform who we are. This is the process of healing. It's the process of healing that I went through. I had to, I had to reform some of my ways of thinking. I had to reform some of my ways of interacting with my environment. I had to reform some of my understandings of myself. I had to reform how I interacted with God. And for every one of us, coming to a place of freedom in this area involves allowing God to reform our souls. Ephesians 4 verse 18 is one of those verses that I just wish weren't in the Bible, but there it is in your face telling you what's true. It's talking about Gentiles, people away from God. It says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Sometimes we just don't know. We just don't know what, what is available to us in God. And as a result, we try very hard to fix things ourselves and it becomes like a hard heart, a, 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 a set way of looking at things that cannot be budged. And as a result, our understanding becomes darkened and our souls become misformed. And God wants to undo that. So how do we get restoration? An AA historian, someone writing about the, the movement of Alcoholics Anonymous, said this, No mastery of manipulation and control at which alcoholics excel can overcome the root problem. Rather, the alcoholic must recognize individual helplessness and fall back in the arms of the higher power. Now, here's the wild thing. It's to get your soul free. To become healed again, you have to stop trying. I know, it's wild. It's wild. You have to stop trying to fix yourself. You have to stop trying to find your own solutions. Guys, I know it's so counterintuitive. It's like until you get to the place where you say, God, without you, I'm helpless. There is no way forward. I don't care how much medication you take. I don't, know how, I don't care how much counseling you go to. You may even be counseled by the great and awesome Andrew Gosman, who is the best counselor I know in this world. If, I mean, it doesn't matter. Until you get to that place where you say, God, I need you. There is no way forward. Then it's just new strategies of the kingdom without the king. It's got to come to the place where you say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that a relief? Because you know what? I have sat through seminar after seminar after seminar that tells me how to be a better person. You know, it's exhausting. No, it's really exhausting. I know 50 ways to read your Bible well. I know a hundred ways to pray well. Yeah. I know 25 ways to be a good wife. I know, I know countless ways to be a fantastic parent. Guys, I can't do it. No, really, it's just impossible to keep up with all the good ideas. It's impossible. At some stage, I simply have to say, God, 
I, I'm not, it's not that bad that I know that. But God, unless you empower me, I can't do anything. Unless you walk with me, I can't be these things. Unless day by day I take your hand and say, be with me, Lord. Today, I don't know what I'm going to face today, but I'm going to face it with you. And when I feel the anxiety rise, when I feel the dislocation happen in my soul, when I feel the anxiety, the emptiness, instead of just running to my old coping mechanisms, I'm going to turn to you and say, what should I do, Lord? Yes. Something great will come to mind. Come Sometimes it's as simple as sit down and have a cup of tea. Sometimes it's as profound as pray this prayer, cast out this demon, I don't know what. But there's always something that he will do in that moment. So what does restoration look like? First of all, we need to recognize our need for God. The essence of everything. You, you were never made to live without him. And then... We need to repent where we have sought to resolve our brokenness without him. Now, let me say repentance has a bad um, tag that goes with it. You know, often when you say to someone who's going through mental illness, you need to repent, they hear again, oh, you need to make your life right. They hear again another strategy of them having to just work hard to perfect themselves. That is not what repentance means. Yeah. Repentance means this. I simply say, God, I cannot do it on my own. I need you. I've been trying all these things to fix myself. They're not good enough. They're not working. Come and help me. That's simply what repentance means. Changing the way you think. Lord, change my understanding of the way I see the world, of the way I see myself. Now we have to rebuke or to, or any destructive, intrusive thoughts. Guys, this might be wild to you. But we have an enemy who is as deceptive, as sneaky, and as horrible as you can imagine. When he sees you battling, he is runs to your pain like it's candy. And his whole goal is to make you feel even worse than you ever felt before. Right. His whole uh, aim is to offer you solutions, so-called solutions, that are destructive and harmful for you. And those intrusive thoughts that just start coming and bombarding you, who do you think authored those? Sure. Not God, I'll tell you that. And so at some stage in your heart, you've got to rise up and say, no, I don't want that thought. That is not who I am. And there's got to come a place where you, where you say, this is what I will think and this is what I will not think. And here's the wild thing about the devil is that he's defeated. And he only acts big. And his whole goal is to make you think that he's super, super powerful. But you turn to him and look him in the eye, not Sam, look him in the eye right here and say, go, no. Yeah. He runs with his tail between his legs. Now, now, I'm not saying that this is going to be an overnight thing. I'm not saying that you're bad for having those thoughts. I'm saying you're human. Yes. You're facing the normal human interactions of a spiritual world trying to invade your life. And here's the beauty of this. You don't have to do it alone. There are people around you who will stand with you and rebuke those thoughts with you. There are people who are around you who will pray for you, intercede for you, stand for you, live with you, walk with you. We do not have to do this alone. And then what we have to do is we have to rely on him again. 
and receive his grace, mercy, and healing. Live from a place of grace. Make space for grace. That's our slogan for next year. Make space for grace. Make space for grace. Guys, and they all start with R. Did you notice? Darling, am I, have I gone up like a hundred times in your estimation? Thank you. I did it only for Andrew. It's part of my goal to be a good wife to him. R. It's restoration, recognize, repent, rebuke, rely, receive. And we do it all in relationship. I mean, tell me if that is not a good R, R sequence. Thank you. And luckily it happens to be true. So great. Thank you. In conclusion, going back to that First Thessalonians verse we read right at the beginning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer for them. And he goes on and he says this in the next verse. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You have a promise over your life, over your loved one's life, that he will surely do it. Amen. 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 And in conclusion, all humans battle with anxiety, depression, and the negative effects of trauma to one degree or the other. Yet God has made a way for all of us to be restored through union with him and the consequent power of God resident in us. Amen. Amen. Can we pray? Can we give the Lord a hand because he's that good?